Welcome to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast for people who love cars. I'm Joe McCullough, and with Father's Day fast approaching, we thought this would be a great time to talk to our own Jeff Carls, to hear the amazing story of his dad's old hot rod, and the crazy journey it took through multiple owners, multiple states, and near oblivion. It's one of those stories where if any tiny detail had been slightly different, it would never have found its way back to Jeff. In the end, it's a story about a car, but one that proves that this hobby we all love so much is really about the people behind the cars. I guess I knew that you had this 46 Ford sedan delivery that had been your dad's, but that was really all I knew until I read that article that you put up on the toolbox about, I mean, just the whole story. And I just like, it made the darn thing made me cry, you know? So I, I can't think of a better story for us to tell here. First of all, what, what is it? Uh, it's a 46 Ford sedan delivery. As you said, um, it was our kind of our family street rod. It was that in those days, that was our, uh, our main, kind of the main squeeze for if we went to a rod run that that truck it it goes back and forth i call it a truck sometimes they're really they're they're kind of in that no man's land where an el camino and like say vans and things like that are that's not really a car it's not really a truck it's just it's a sedan delivery anyway by my dad was a he, he was a used car dealer and at that point in time when i was very young uh you know before i started school he was running a, a business called the old car company. And we did, we built, bought and sold street rods, classic cars, and also did a lot of, um, you know, used auction cars, late model stuff. If they could get a clean used car to put on the lot, um, through the Kansas city auction, whatever. But that one was the one that was always around. That was our personal street rod. We had cars that came and went, you know, deuce roadsters and tea buckets and sea cabs and all kinds of wild holdover stuff. But, but that sedan delivery was the one that we had through my early childhood. And I come to find out many years later, part of the reason for that was because sedan deliveries are notoriously hard to sell. Um, for the same reason oh, that, that there's a, yeah. a small audience that really, really likes sedan delivery. But, but anyway, I digress. So the Looney Tunes truck was, was around. They actually got it just right at about the same time that I was born. They moved, uh, up to Kennard and opened the, the old car company. And we had an acreage with a big, uh, garage and pole barn that, that they turned into my dad's hot rod shop. And then my mom's upholstery shop eventually, uh, was housed in there too. So they bought it in 79, 80. I was born in 78. Okay. So it was, it was around essentially as long as I could remember um, when I was a little kid. And it went through, you know, a couple of different iterations. It was, it was pretty tough when he got it. it some of the guys down in Kansas had been using it as a fishing truck, um, which I didn't really know was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they'd pull this thing up to the bank of river or lake or wherever it was they were going to cast a line out and they'd sit on the roof of it with lawn chairs. And, you know, back in those days, there were the, the fold up aluminum frame webbing right. lawn chairs on the roof of this thing. And they had a pot bellied stove inside of it so they could oh, fish in the wintertime. They would stoke this stove up and it would heat the entire roof skin of the, of the delivery. And it had a stove pipe and everything through the roof of it. It was, uh, it was something else. <laughs> I mean, that's a miracle that we're even sitting here having that this conversation that that thing didn't just burn to the ground in a get left there on the shore of the lake somewhere, you know? It's definitely not for lack of trying. Uh, it sure <laughs> seems like they, they did everything they could. Um, but they we, we drug it home. It, uh, it had, a I think, a friend, uh, I've pieced a lot of parts of the story together about this vehicle 
um, from friends that were friends with my dad, friends with my folks in those days, and remember when that thing came to Kennard and what it was like. Um, you know, my dad passed away when I was fairly young, and uh, that was really interesting. A, a gentleman here in Fremont named Bud Boys, he goes, I, from what I remember, it had a, a 455 in it and a four-speed. And when your dad got the thing home and got it running and tried to go drive it, he realized that the the Corvair Independent was in the car backwards or to something oh, something to that effect. Um, it had the, the strut support rods and stuff were facing forward on it, and it just it didn't really work. That was about the time that dad decided to rip into it and f- fix the front suspension issues that it had. It still has the Corvair Independent in it now, actually, um, with quite a few Band-Aids on it. But uh, and that was when it got a small block Chevy and turbo 350 and all the the running gear kind of got replaced in it at that point. So it was a street rod when he got it. Uh, ish, yeah. It was. I've got pictures when he went to pick it up. It didn't have a rear end under it. I'm not sure if they had broken it with the old, the big motor or what what happened. And I think they stuck the Nova rear end underneath of it just to to get it on the trailer and get it home. But uh, it it lived its early years. It was painted uh, Imron. I don't know if you've oh, ever yeah. dealt with that semi truck paint. Yeah, it was it was Imron, and it had really big fender flares on the rear because the back fenders had been rotted out around the the lip. So it had it it was unique, uh, you know, panel striping and stuff on it. So it was sort of street rotty already, but uh, not not terribly functional as far as like actually a car that you could drive any great distance. Uh, so my dad and a good friend of his, Gary Gerberding out of, at that time was out of Geneva, Nebraska, did, uh, minimal body work to it, fixed the rear fenders, got rid of the big seventies flares off the fenders, radius, the rear fender wells to, cause there was no metal there. It was just, you cut the fiberglass off and it, right. uh, it just got a couple inches bigger. So Gary and dad went back and forth with, um, they, we're in business together with a company called the Louver Company. They bought an old Dean Moon Louver press, and they <laughs> were going to go into business louvering hoods and deck lids and things for hot rods. And this was the guinea pig. So they pulled the, the hood off this delivery, and they punched it uh, with that Moon Louver press. And that's still the, you know, that's the the set of louvers it has in it today. And it's it's fun to look at because they're they're really pretty good for the first first go around. They're, right. they're straight and relatively even, and that that press has just got such a great shape anyway. But uh, that was the first go around, and that was when it had American Daisy spoke the 200s wheels and stuff on it that are on it. And most of the photos that everybody's seen of it, it had those Daisy spoke Americans that I put back on it when I brought it home. But it uh, went through a couple of years like that, and then. For whatever reason, the bug bit dad. He wanted to put something on the ISCA circuit. He wanted to put together a car that he could exhibit at the indoor shows and try to win a class award, basically a class championship. Now, he had been chairman of the Omaha, the local World of Wheels uh, Autorama show for some years in the 70s. And then back during this period, the early 80s, he was also chairman of the show at that time. So, I guess a little bit of inside knowledge as to which classes were a little soft too. It's it's sort of like going for a record at Bonneville. You look for one that may, that maybe is a little soft. So right. trucks and vans at that time had gotten their own class for the indoor car shows. There was a truck and van class. Well, this qualified as a truck slash van, and it was even in the condition that it was before it got redone was probably 
better, nicer than a lot of the cars that showed up to compete at those shows. So you could outscore them on points depending on what was done to yours versus what was done to theirs. So when this thing got redone in the, the ultramarine blue color that it is now, it got the murals and the big pillowed velour interior and all the, like, if you can think of an eighties cliche yeah. for street rod, it, this has got it. So it's got the, the Charlie Blake velour Cartier velour interior in it with, uh, their, it, I, I affectionately refer to this thing as a junkyard rod because it was built in the days before you could call somebody like us and say, I want a Mustang two front suspension that is patterned to weld right into my car uh, a rear end that is tailor-made to bolt into it. Uh, you know, all the things that, that we kind of take for granted a little bit, being, right. uh, especially myself, being able to just grab the stuff at the counter, it's just ready-made. It's good It's good to go. Well, this thing is, is sort of the opposite of that. It's a lot of repurposed junkyard parts. It's got, um, you know, 71 Olds strato buckets in it that have been reupholstered and reshaped a little bit to look the way that he wanted them to. It's got... Um, 67 Oldsmobile, 98 armrests and door handles. In the in interior door handles are are like a, a 60s luxury car. They've got the lift handle in them, mm-hmm. power windows, all that kind of stuff. So when it got redone, it really got you know at that point in time the world class treatment. They were it was kind of I, I hate to call it cutting edge, but it was what you know what everybody else was kind of striving for at that point. So that was. That would have been 83, 82, 83 when it got finished up that way. And we, for whatever reason, decided to take it on a California vacation um, <laughs> before it went on to winter show circuit. So it was one of those vacations where you kind of do an oil change in the middle of it. It was that long a trip. Right. And we went to Southern California via Las Vegas because we, we went out for Andy's picnic and we hit the Vegas Super Run which was on the golf course. I don't remember what casino or what golf course it was, but it was, we tore the heck out of that golf course. Um, Cause it was, <laughs> it was a rod run that was just held out on the greens and it was a little unruly. I remember we broke the axle in our luggage trailer because he was cruising, uh, cruising the fairgrounds type of a deal with people piled onto our old, it was, it was originally a pop-up camper that had had the guts Uh-oh, stripped yeah. out of it and just had a wooden yeah. lid built on it. Well, we broke the axle by hauling too many people around. So I, I do remember somewhat of that. I was about five years old. So the, the memories from that trip are sort of the highlights like that of like, oh, hey, hey, look at that. We're dead in the water with a trailer. We can't haul anywhere that has all of our clothes and tools in it. So uh, <laughs> this is 1982. 83, and yeah. You're 83. And your family, dad, mom, you and your brother uh-huh. pile into this fresh 46 forward sedan delivery and drive from Nebraska to California yep. through Vegas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty epic trip. It's uh yeah, it was, it was quite a haul and uh, you know, there was just no other way. That was how we did things. Now I remember, you know, I see pictures from when my, my older brother's 10 years older than I am. So I see their family vacation pictures from Yellowstone in the seventies, 34 Ford two door sedan with a, a Mullins trailer <laughs> behind it or a pop that pop up camper actually before yeah. it was cannibalized to be a luggage trailer. It's just that was what street routing was. Our our return trip then came back through Colorado. We've got some friends in Longmont and it was uh quite a memory. It was an indelible impression to spend that much time 
in that vehicle and see as many different things. You know, I saw the Golden Gate Bridge. We went up to San Francisco. We went down oh, to wow. San Diego Zoo. We went all over California and back with that trip. And like I said, it was something that leaves a real impression with a little kid, especially, uh, you know, to do it in something that's that cool. It, it was uh, that was a way of life for me growing up in a street riding family. You were always used to people staring at the vehicle as you drove by or gawking at a stoplight and things like that. Yeah. It was just, but it was to see that on a grander scale when you're taking something cross country and it's got Nebraska plates on it and you're in, you know, Tucum, Tucum New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> what in the heck are you doing here? Um, that's great. I love that. But uh, so, yeah, we did the, the California vacation, came back from that and, you know, polished the thing back up and did some touch up on the bottom side of it and then entered it into that winter's show circuit. So in the 83, 84 winter series, it, uh, you know, we, we, I remember going, gosh, I, I, I was at, I think, a Denver show we went to with it. I know he we went up to. Um, you know, at that time there were shows all over the Midwest too. We had a Des Moines auto show. There used to be a Kansas city auto show. Lincoln had an auto show. So there were a lot of places where you could go and pick up points. And that was really what it was all about was, was scoring points and scoring. Oh, right. It was sort of, sort of like a cup race type of a deal. Right. Cause admittedly it's still on the bottom side. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little crude. It gets used and it's, again, it's got a lot of junkyard parts on it. So, um, through those efforts that that winter turned into um, a class championship. So it's, you know, I've got some plaques that have, have always kind of ridden along with this thing in, uh, in boxes and things that, that it's part of the, right. part of the history, part of the pedigree of the thing. But uh, so through all that with, with the efforts that he had put into making the delivery nicer and putting fresh paint and the murals were a big thing. Cause that was, that was a huge deal back in, especially that early eighties period cartoon murals and things and custom airbrushed paint, you know, airbrushed magazines were everywhere. The van craze yeah. was huge. The guy in, in Omaha, uh, a guy named Jack Leasley did those murals. And I remember having to give up. I had these little, um, <laughs> they were almost like, it's hard to describe the size of them. They were like a four by five, but they were about an inch thick little digest books that were like a condensed version of a bunch of old Looney Tunes and Popeye and different cartoon comics books basically little miniaturized uh comic books and jack took all of those that i had when i was a little kid and used them <laughs> for character references to be able to sketch and draw these characters out and so like the murals on that thing are all they're all freehand the only thing on it that was actually masked out or used a frisket was there's a picket fence that's got a pattern that's that's taped out but the rest of it was all freehand and uh, I distinctly remember going to pick it up and, you know, checking in on it over the course of the couple of weeks that he was doing the paintwork and uh, on the murals. And uh, there are some slight variations from side to side in the in the composition and the way that things are done. And, you know, five year old me going back and forth between the two sides of the vehicle. And I remember at after pointing out like the third difference, he got down on one <laughs> knee, he put a hand on one of my shoulders and he says, you know, you can only look at one side of the car at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so, the old pinstripers mantra. Yeah, exactly. You know, it looks great. And why, do you have any idea why your dad chose Looney Tunes? Well, that was, it's actually sedan delivery related because that was something he really liked oddball cars, something that was uh, either a limited production run or like a sedan delivery that was a commercial vehicle that just got the snot beat out of it during its regular service life. Yeah. Um, they just, at that time, especially when he built that thing, they were not popular. 
in, in the slightest. Um, 40 Ford sedan deliveries had kind of come into their own a little bit with a couple that had been built. And uh, he really, really wanted a 40 sedan delivery, but this came up for sale. And, and as we started, you know, kind of getting down the rabbit hole with it, uh, you know, like you're Looney Tunes, you're crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you put that kind of effort into one of those? And, you know, that oh. was, I, I was also a huge Looney Tunes fan when I was a little kid and who wasn't right. That was just, that was my go-to. And like I said, I had all these little digest books and stuff. And, and when you're a little kid, it really doesn't, it doesn't click in your mind that that stuff, those cartoons are from the forties. Uh, right. They were they were made in the same era that this this truck was built originally, so it, it kind of lent its hand to that uh, somewhat. And I think it was just I've got a lot of pictures of that thing when it came from the paint shop with with big empty panels on it. And I think he had maybe intended to leave it blank, mm-hmm. and it just is too much. There's there's mm-hmm. no visual interest there. So um, I'm glad that one thing led to another, and and he did take the leap with Jack because. Jack, I don't think gave him a, a terribly solid foundation of what he was going to do with it. Mm-hmm. it it's kind of like handing your car over to a pinstriper and saying, "Go nuts, just uh, do do what you feel." <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was quite a quite a leap of faith, and it, I'm glad that that Dad took it because it's still that's the one of the parts of that paint job that really has held up because it. Uh, um, some of the fine line work and things like that, and even palm prints and fingerprints of Jacks that are still on there that are buried in the clear, they kept flashing back through the lacquer clear that was originally over it. Dad had some issues with that, and it started to get a little thin as he was trying to polish that flashback back out of it. Um, he took it back to Metzler at American Auto Body and said, hey, can you put more clear on this? It's you know, it's keeps flashing back. We need to get a little bit more substance on top of this, or I'm going to start rubbing, you know, airbrush paint off. So Frank came back to him and said, Hey, I've got this new product. It's uh, it's a relatively new thing. It's a, it's like a catalyzed paint and it's supposed to be harder than a bowling ball, which turned out to be polyurethane clear. And right. uh, that is really still the only part on that paint job that, that has held up well are over those murals. It was blended in and, you know, taped off at, at hard edges. So, Eventually, the thing will probably get fresh paint and body done on it around the murals, so that it's it's gotten pretty tough around the edges now. That, that's much. It's much harder to duplicate a paint job that looks like it's forty years old. You know. <laughs> True. <laughs> we had picked up during that point in time a thirty-four Chevy Town sedan, which is another one of those kind of oddball vehicles. It's it's like yeah. a two-door sedan, but it's got a shorter quarter window and a little bustle right. on the back of the body. That car was almost ready to go in for paint. And as you know, anybody who's tried to swing the bat on a couple of different project cars at the same time um, doesn't always work out so hot. So something had to go. And that was about the point in time that the sedan delivery, um, you know, was, was, going to be the one that had to get sold. And I, I threw a fit because again, that was my, that was my hot rod. You know, that was the the car we'd always used for everything. I'd always been the, you know, that was the one I rode in. And what year was this? That would have been uh, about 85 um, was when serious interest in selling the delivery came around. And it was kind of a funny thing, but some good friends of the family, um, took a trip out to California to Balin's. Uh, at that time, that was when the pro street movement was really starting to get hot and heavy. And they had mm-hmm. project 40 and fat jacks, fat attack, uh, you know, 46 or mm-hmm. seven coupe. 
So we had friends from Sioux City that had a 39 Chevy two-door sedan that he had raced and campaigned with a blown big block in it and stuff. And that car uh, was called Prime Secret, Riesdorf's out of, out of Kansas City, uh, out of Sioux City. They had purchased a sedan delivery from us that was just a shell. I, it was one of those things that, again, Dad thought he was nuts for, Are you, you're going to start with this, really? You're going to build a car out of right. that field car. Um, and it was a 39 Chevy sedan delivery that hauled the 39 Chevy two-door sedan to the races. So oh. the the race car was called Prime Secret, and then the delivery that Rodney built for it was called Secret Delivery, um, which also had a it had a blown small block and had a 471 blower on a small block Chevy, and it was a in and of itself was a really neat vehicle. At any rate, so. Uh, summer of 85, I believe it was, Dad and Riesdorfs and some other friends went to California to go race at the at Balin's at the Nostalgia Race out there. And that was when Dad met uh, Bob Bowder and some of the other guys that were in, influential and, and part of that movement. Bowder is right. the one who built Project 40 for Moreland. So that turned into some contacts back and forth with California and uh, Bob at that time, Bowder was was uh, working with Vern Luce, who is a familiar hot rodding name too, the, the Vern Luce Coupe and things. Um, he was buying and selling hot rods with Vern, um, just kind of like Dad was doing here. So right. that was a deal was struck, and the delivery went to California to go live with Bowder, and that was the last I had seen it. When I was about five, we sent it. Uh, it was actually shortly after my birthday when we sent it out to go oh, go to california so and and they, you know that gave us the opportunity to finish the 34 and get it into paint and get the car a little further down the road and uh that that following year uh in 86 my dad passed away so the 34 was was nearly finished at that point and uh sorry so my brother and mom and i finished that car just the way that dad would have wanted it done. And, uh, we, you know, use the car a lot. My brother still has it. And, uh, that was, uh, well, that would have been, it was 87 actually before that car was, was really at anything serious. Uh, cause dad passed in, in late 86 in October of 86. So we worked on it through the winter and finished the interior, you know, paint was finished on it. And the 34 was, was Jim's car. He kind of inherited that and passed his 39 back to mom as you know, the, the business, everything was a little disheveled at that point because yeah, with everything up in the air. But so <clears throat> we, uh, we finished that 34 and, and Jim used that car and it was a, you know, it was a good tribute to our dad because it was done again in a, a pretty 80s style, uh, you know, white paint with lower body graphics and a red velour interior in it. And it had a, a Corvair IFS in it too. <laughs> that one worked a whole lot better than mine did when I first got it too. But um, so that, you know, that became, you know, the kind of the family street rod at that point. And, uh, a few years later, my mom uh, eventually remarried, and she married a guy uh, named Bob Catron. He was also a, a old way back in the day drag racer and uh, street rod guy, and he actually kind of picked up the reins. My brother had a '39 Chevy coupe when when Dad passed away that he and Dad had worked on together. Um, Jim sold that '39 Chevy to Bob, and uh, well. 
via the old car company. Any, at any rate, the 39 mm-hmm. Chevy, the 34 Chevy had always been around together from that point. They'd never left the family. Right. Flash forward a few years, uh, like 1999, um, Bob was good friends with some other guys, uh, the Clark family out of Omaha, and they, they campaigned a junior fuel dragster. That was, that was actually an old Howdy Williams car who is, if you know your Omaha drag racing history, um, you know, Howdy was kind of a big deal. And uh, so they had one of Howdy's old fuel cars that they were campaigning as a junior fuel car at the good guys meets. And Bob went out with them uh, in 99 to pit crew. That was just what he did. He was a mechanic and really sharp guy and tuner. And he went out with Ron and Mark and, and the rest of the family to go campaign this dragster. So getting ready to go to the races one morning, Bob stepped out of his hotel, side door, kind of a deal. It wasn't like it was out in the front lobby or anything. Side door of the hotel, he opens the door, you know, coffee thermos under one arm, cooler with his lunch under the other (laughs) arm, and there's this sedan delivery outside the hotel. Untouched. With Looney Tunes on the side. Looney Tunes, same paint, same interior, Um, you know, so... And this had been a good, pretty decent stretch of time. I mean, it's still, it's 13 years, but um, a fair amount of time had passed. And we never did hear another thing about it after it sold. It was just gone. You know, it was just another street rod that you, you know, sent to the the four winds. So nobody was around because it was really early in the morning. So he left a little note. Um, it's one of the things I'll always remember about Bob. He always had one of those little notepads in his shirt pocket, left him a note under the windshield wiper that said, Hey, if you're interested in more information about this vehicle, my stepsons would be thrilled to hear from you and could tell you anything that you'd want to know about it. <laughs> so, you know, and I think about that a lot, I, you know, I, I kind of grew up with having two dads and, and yeah. losing my dad as early as I did. Um, you know, I was eight years old. Oh yeah. Bob, uh, you know, he did a lot for us, for our family and, uh, for him to see that thing that was a connection to my dad and, and to be big enough to still want to bring that back into his daily life. You know, to, if when you've spent, yeah. if anybody who's gone into that situation as a step parent to always hear about, well, you're not my dad. And, you know, it's to step in and raise somebody else's kids to, to, basically welcome that memory to be there and to help carry that, that torch. This says mm-hmm. a lot about the guy. Yeah. So when we got, uh, he got back from Colum- or from, uh, Indy that, that note <laughs> made its way back to us in a letter, uh, from a couple in West Virginia named Sal and Carol Trujillo. They had purchased the sedan delivery out of a barn in Ohio, <laughs> and it's still a little fuzzy how it ended up going from Crestline, California to Ohio. I've talked to um, Bob Bowder's son, Danny, and I are friends on Facebook, and he and my brother have talked a little bit when, when my brother Jim lived in California, and Danny says, yeah, I, I remember driving that thing to like the street rod, uh, the uh, no, it wasn't back to the fifties. There used to be street rod nationals in Minneapolis in mm-hmm, St. Paul yeah. in 89. And we both kind of, Jim and I both kind of scratched our heads and said, well, we were there in 89. Cause I remember going to the street rod nationals with, with mom and Bob in the 39 Chevy coupe. And Jimmy took the 34 up there, never ran into it, but it's, I mean, as huge as that fairgrounds is. And when you have 10, 
thousand cars, it's tough to see all of them. But, uh, but yeah, Danny remembers driving that because Bob was at that point still trying to sell it because sedan deliveries are really hard to sell. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, so that's, that's as far as I know on the California side of the story. And I've, I've talked to a couple other folks that are California guys that said, Oh yeah, I remember that. That's Stuart's sedan delivery. Well, I, I guess Stuart was a guy that worked for Bob, um, that may have either just been driving it to shows and stuff, trying to expose it, or maybe he bought it. Who knows? But at any rate, (laughs) when it turned back up in Ohio, it was in pretty tough shape. It had been used um, pretty extensively and it was, uh, you know, the interior was a little beat up in it and tore up and the heater core had leaked and rotted a hole in the floor and made the carpet nasty and stuff. So when Sal went to look for a vehicle, he was, he was looking for a project. He had a 69 Camaro convertible, I believe that he had just sold the, and he wanted a fat fendered car to make his own. And this thing came up for sale. He went to go look at it. Yeah, that's good. They struck a price, drug it back home and they started tearing into it to do their thing. And again, couldn't blame them in the slightest because it's, you know, it's a very dated tattered, you know, right. pillowed interior. They pulled the bucket seats out of it. And it, uh, Strato buckets are, are a little bit of an odd duck. They've got that hard shell back on them with the push button in the middle. Well, Dad, okay. they had they have this little depression in the center of them that is kind of built in. He had that built into map pockets. Um, the guy that did the interior in that for us back in the 80s was named Charlie Blake. And he used to fabricate a little bit of, of everything, um, you know, as far as putting stuff together. So he wanted him to put these map pockets in the backs of the seats. Dad thought that was the coolest thing since canned beer. Um, all these little <laughs> trick things. It's like, oh, that's a, mm-hmm. you know, that's a Strato bucket, but it doesn't look like yeah. it. I'm like, those are like, yeah. those are really high dollar seats for a guy that's building a, sh- a 71 Cutlass. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. Uh, so... Before we sent that thing on its way to go live in California, dad put a street rotter magazine in the map, in the map pocket of the driver's seat that featured the delivery and actually a couple other Omaha cars that when Dave Thacker came out to shoot the feature, they did, you know, a bunch of them. And so that, that magazine rode along with that thing all the way into that barn in Ohio. And when Sal pulled the seats out of it, the seat fell over on the garage floor kind of thing. It's one of those things that it only happens in movies. Seat tipped over backwards because that's just what bucket seats do when you set them on the floor. And this magazine fell out of the map pocket. <laughs> they picks it up, starts thumbing through it. And, oh, you know what? I, this thing's got a history because it talks about the ISCA stuff in yeah. there and miles and all that. They decided to leave it alone. They decided they were going to patch the floor. They put, uh, you know, bitchin' patches in the floor and the, the toe board and stuff yeah. and fixed some of the other kind of hinky stuff that was wrong with it. Um, they recovered the front seats actually in the same type of material and pattern that they were. They basically became caretakers at that point because they wanted to make sure that it that stayed true to its heritage because it was not, I don't know, I hate to use the word historic, but it had, it had its own history. It had its own mojo. Yeah. Um, well, a, a magazine car always has a certain amount of panache. Yeah, it comes, you know, it comes with a little bit of provenance built into it because it's got that, you know, and it, the true, it had true spoke wires and stuff on it years ago when it was in its heyday in the magazines and at the shows. And that was actually my job. Um, I was not allowed to touch oh, the paint. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I was the kid with the holiday in towel because 
hotel yeah. halls or the best cartels. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. and would dry each and every one of those spokes. I had small fingers. So yeah, it was, it was like a, you know, the, the small fingers, uh, fit into the, in between the spokes and around the knockoffs and all that good stuff. And I will never own ever <laughs> a set of wire wheels. So that's, that's actually why that doesn't have true spokes back on it again. Yeah. I, you know, I can get those wheels, you know, and, and, uh, they, they still make them. They'll make a set for you, but nope, I'm good. I don't blame you. This is amazing to me, this part of the story, because if if some tiny little things had been different with the universe, it would have been painted red and lost to time. Nobody would have known that it was Looney Tunes. It would have been gone. Your Your stepdad could have seen it in Columbus, and it would have been red or black or purple or whatever and had no idea. And uh, ever since, you know, that was one of those things, ever since that truck kind of went its its own way when I was a little kid, I would always go and look at a, f- a six, seven or eight delivery because they're so easy mm-hmm. to change the identity of trim and, you know, marker lights. A lot of them have filled marker lights anyway. So I would always look at those for telltale signs that that was that sedan delivery. Um, and obviously always came up empty handed because they weren't, <laughs> Right. but, uh, it was, it was really funny because Sal wrote the letter back and it, again, the, the things working strange in the universe and just a number of tumblers that needed to fall into line for all of this to happen. That letter that Sal wrote back to my mom and stepdad arrived on their anniversary date. Oh, uh, it, it, it landed in the mail and I've got it. It's June 10th is what I didn't land on their anniversary date. The postmark was, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. um, postmark okay. the June 10th. And we kept in contact with them. Well, it was better than 10 years. Cause, uh, I saw it again for the first time in 2011. I, I had actually just started working for Speedway about a year before that. And as things worked out with my career, at Speedway, I transitioned from being a graphic designer, graphic artist, into merchandising. And that was one of the first shows that I traveled to um, in that role uh, for Speedway, was as a merchant to go to the Columbus Good Guys show and talk to vendors and, and look at right. product and stuff. So pretty quiet. wasn't much going on. It was a little bit of a rainy, kind of crappy day. Uh, we parked. I don't know what, what led us... Uh, to park where we did, but we parked where we shouldn't have. So we were walking like forever in a day from the top of a parking garage at the Columbus, at the, the exhibition center. And I saw Deuce five window high boy. That was just perfectly proportioned, had the perfect chop. It was really, it was a beautiful car. So I got my, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, got my Blackberry out and I was backing <laughs> up to try to take a picture of this thing. And I, I needed to back up a little farther so I could get the whole thing in the frame. And I backed into, in, in a fairly sparsely populated area of the parking, I backed into the corner of the sedan delivery. And I turned around oh, and it, it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up because I hadn't seen that thing for better than, as, what, 25 years at that point. Oh, man. And it was like seeing a ghost because it did. It looked identical to the way I remembered it. And, you know, the wheels and tires had changed on it and it sat really high and stuff in the front. But it's, I'm like, that is it. I can't believe it's here. You know, I, oh, I I'd talked to Sal on the phone. We'd gotten letters back and forth. You know, we'd gotten assurances that, hey, if we ever decide to do anything with it, what, blah, 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 we're still using it. We're enjoying the heck out of it. We don't want to sell it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Whatever. I can't afford to buy it. <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was, you know, it was like seeing it, you know, a childhood friend that you just, 
you're reunited with. So again, one of the things that I always looked for on some of these other street rod deliveries, um, and it's a goofy little kid thing, like in the door jams, we, he got dinged once at a show because the door jams weren't detailed, didn't have enough, uh, you know, circus wagon stuff going on. Yeah. So he had the door jams <laughs> uh, pinstriped. And then he, oh, somewhere yeah. he found these goofy little prism stickers that were Looney Tunes characters. So, like, I remember on the, the door, the driver's door, I think, had Speedy Gonzalez, and the passenger door had Foghorn Leghorn, and the back door had right. Sylvester. And then there was another Sylvester on the rear end cover that was just a little Sylvester character with balloons, just like the one that's in the mural on the side. Mm-hmm. That sticker was still there. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> this is a good sticker. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I can't buy stickers that good anymore. Right. And that was right about the time that Sal walked up because I had been going around this thing and round and under and there's no... You didn't know it was going to be there? I had no idea it was going to be there. Oh, he geez. didn't know I was going to be there. Um, <laughs> and he didn't know who I was when I, I came shimmying out from underneath the back of this thing because you got to get pretty far under a sedan delivery to see the rear end. Um, right. <laughs> I came shimmying out from underneath this thing wearing my uh you know my button down speedway shirt and you know fair, par- fairly pair of nice jeans i had just rolled all over the wet pavement didn't care <laughs> um but I, I slid out from under the side of this thing and there's this guy standing there looking at me funny fo- with his arms folded looking down at me and i said you must be sal and then i said i saw the look on his face soften and he figured out who i was immediately mm-hmm. and you know, it was amazing. He, you know, he opened it up for me and showed me inside and you started it up so I could hear it again and stuff. And the best way to describe it is, um, it's like taking a record and picking the needle up and moving it forward a few tracks and setting it down. Um, right. when I go and drive that, it still smells the same inside as I remember it smelling when I was a kid, you know, that smell of velour, velour, gasoline and decaying polyurethane foam is uh <laughs> it's quite a potpourri it yeah yeah <laughs> and the only thing that's missing out of it is the the alternator buzz through the radio that i distinctly remember oh, yeah. forever i'd love to figure out how to get it back it's got all new wiring in it now than it had back then so i, I want i want an artificial buzz generator now because that was <laughs> that's part of the appeal for me was that that buzz that drove dad nuts for a- ages to get that alternator hum out of it. But so, yeah, talking to Sal and, you know, I got to meet Carol finally and talk to her and spent, you know, a good Saturday afternoon uh, in a lawn chair at the rod run, just talking about everything that they'd done with it, where they'd gone, um, you know, how, how their kids had kind of grown up a little bit in it too, or, you know, had spent some time with them and around it. And, um, but they, uh, you know, they went from Maine to Florida in that thing. And even, you know, they went to Niagara Falls and little, I think they even tiptoed into Canada here and there with it, but they never came any further West than Columbus. I think they did go to street rod nationals in St. Paul, uh, Minneapolis area with it, but they never right. came any further West than that. And we really never went any further East when we owned the thing. Um, we never went any further East than, uh, I'm trying to think really, yeah, it's not you know, like Fort Dodge, Iowa, Des Moines, that kind of that kind of thing. Most everything else we did was south and southwest, western, west coast. So um, it's really interesting how much of the map that thing is covered, um, yeah. you know, over the course of three different owners. But uh, so that was a really nice weekend. I got to spend time with them and reaffirm that that yes, either Jim or I are interested in bringing this home. Whenever you guys are ready. Let us know. We'll, uh, you know, we'll make it happen. We'll figure it out. 
So flash forward a couple more years, and in 2013, uh, my now wife and I had got engaged, and we were in the process of combining our two households into the house that we live in now. We had just purchased this house. Um, I still owned mine, and she had sold hers, but I talked her out of the equity that she had cashed out of that house when she sold it because I found a really, really underpriced 55 Chevy hardtop that I thought I, I needed to have and I could probably make a buck on. Yeah. So like <laughs> Sal called me in June and said, Hey, you know, since we talked to you in Columbus, we really haven't done much with this car. We're, you know, we're slowing down a little bit. We're getting older. I think we're ready to let it go. And oh, yeah, great timing. Right. And I said, you know, I don't have two nickels to rub together to wish for more money. <laughs> we're, we're supposed to get married this October. I just We just bought a house. I still have a house stuck to the bottom of my shoe that I need to sell. I just bought another car. And, you know, his ears perked up when I said that. He goes, well, what, what kind of car did you buy? <laughs> I said, yeah, well, yeah, so I right. said, it's a 55 Chevy hardtop. I said, but you were looking for a convertible, if I recall. He said, well, I could make do with a hardtop. We never came together on that deal. But I told him, I says, I, I need to get this. 55 sold or the house sold before anything can happen. It's that just we're stuck. And he told me, he says, well, I just, I just paid the insurance on it for the year. He goes, it's in the garage. He goes, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't cost me anything to have it there. He says, when you're ready, if you want it, he says, when you're ready for it, it'll be here. So oh, we, we continued trucking through our, our plans that summer and getting ready for our wedding and everything else. Um, and I dealt with every sort of, of, window shopper and time waster in the world on that 55. But I did finally get a taker on my house and we, I called Sal up and said, okay, we're, we're ready to make a deal. And we struck a price, which is, I feel reasonable between both of us. He, you know, he thought it was worth X dollars and I did too. So I didn't dicker a bargain with him. Um, The, uh, (laughs) as it worked out, the best time for us to go get the thing was going to be in the fall. Well, we were getting married in early October and this was actually my wife's idea. She looked for places uh, on the East coast or in the Eastern part of the country that we could go to and honeymoon. So she found this resort in the Poconos and uh, that is in the Eastern part of Pennsylvania. West Weirton, West Virginia, where this truck was is right near Pittsburgh. So clear across the state. Mm-hmm. So met up with Sal, dropped off the rental car, went back to their house in Weirton. He went over the car with me because it's got, there's some odd things about it. You know, the battery's under a trap door in the back and so is all the circuit panel and wiring and stuff right next to the gas tank, which makes total sense. Um, <laughs> well, and you didn't have to know any of that when you were no, yeah, I've, five years old. You didn't care where the battery was. No idea. Yeah. So... <laughs> And Carol went over like everything they'd done, places they'd gone with it, memorabilia and stuff. We came away with more stuff, like just piles of just history that kind of went with it, which is awesome because it's it's cumulative, especially with a hot rod like that that has seen a couple different families. It's neat to see what it meant to each one of them. So we set off that day. Um, first stop we made, I think, was actually at a Walmart to pick up a small tool kit and a little bottle jack because it didn't have anything in it for as far as roadside tools and a Garmin, which I do still to this day credit with saving my marriage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
deliveries are really hard to see out of as it is. And I didn't want to start out on a, you know, a road trip 1200 miles back home with this thing uh, in the dark, in a strange vehicle on roads I've never been on. So that was actually sort of where we, we went, we found a drive-in theater and uh, that was our first stop at the drive-in was uh, in Pittsburgh to, uh, to check out a show there. And that's actually, that's where our, our drive-in bug bit. Uh, we've been to dozens of them since then. But uh, that 1,200-mile trip home took us, I think we stretched it out into about six days by the time all was said and done. We took a really super leisurely pace at, you know, stopping every place we could. We stayed in West Chicago, uh, Oak Park, Illinois, has a ton of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright homes. It was sort of like where where Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture style grew up into that Mm -hmm. prairie style. Uh, You can watch it transition as the homes. So like that was part of the, you know, that's part of our history with that too. You know, Jenny got, uh, you know, a 1200 mile punch in her tough card to take a street (laughs) rod that she'd never seen before home on her honeymoon and bring it in, bring it in as part of the, part of the deal. Well, what was it like to, I mean, you had never driven it before, obviously. What was it like to drive this thing for the first time? It was it was really strange again because uh, like I said it it smells and feels and sounds the same inside as it did when I was a little kid. Um, I, I guess it's the best way to describe it is as a rite of passage. Is, yeah, is really the only way to describe how it felt because that was you know now I'm in the dad seat, <laughs> ready or not. <laughs> yep, yep. After we brought the thing home, I was somewhat shocked and alarmed to uh, find some of the stuff that I did find it had um, it's got a Nova rear end in it, which is a super narrow, that's like 66, 67 Nova 10 bolt in it, which is a really, really narrow rear end. And it allows you to put a really deep 10 inch wheel on the back of it. And it had 10 inch steelies on it when we brought it home, but they didn't have the right, the same offset that like an American or like the true spokes did. In fact, I think the true spokes, if I remember correctly, even had spacers behind them. Um, But they had some of the really old kind of cast pot metal wheel spacers on the back of it that one apparently was a little loose. So like the (laughs) holes and stuff were a little egg shaped on them and that things like that, where I just, I think about that, that, 1200 miles on the way home without really having gone over the thing for anything, any, for all intents and purposes, it was like, well, I'll drive it until something fails and then I'll fix it on the side of the road, which is typically how we, you know, that's how we street rod. Um, (laughs) what's the worst that could, is there any other way? What's the worst that could happen? There's a parts store and a Casey's (laughs) in every small town. So, (laughs) but, uh, you know, stuff like that, that I was just absolutely mortified to find after I got, I tore it apart that winter to get ready to put it in the Omaha world of wheels that spring. I dolled up the engine and did all kinds of cosmetic stuff to it and mechanical things to bring it back up to, um, you know, like the standard that I have for something that I'm going to hop in and drive truck to cross country. Um, but that was, uh, in preparation to subject, I mean, share the vacation with my own kids in the back of a sedan delivery to California and back. So, um, you know, I did it. It's good for me. It's good for you. So we, uh, that was our, our California trip was a little bit different. It was more, um, uh, it's cars centric instead of, uh, 
you know, the very, the regular vacation spots. My kids saw the movie Cars at the drive-in as one of the last shows that they saw at our local our council, council Bluffs drive-in. And they saw it out of the back of my 48 Chevy panel truck because once you like long roofs, you, you know, you just kind of stick with them. So that vacation in our sedan delivery started as, okay, we're driving to Tulsa and then we're going to go see the big blue whale. We're going to stay at the Desert Hills Inn and we're going to go to the drive-in while we're down there. And that was the kickoff to our vacation. And we headed west from there on Route 60, well, what's left of the Route 66 yeah. pathway and, and I-40. So they got to see, you know, the Cadillac Ranch and the what ended up being being Ramon's gas station um, that's in Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the town right offhand, but, you know, and then Route 66 where it goes through Albuquerque. And naturally, we had to stop and see all the Breaking Bad stuff in Albuquerque, too. Um, you know, all the way to, you know, out to Southern California, we, we went to the end of the road. We went to Santa Monica pier and, you know, I'd, I'd like to someday, uh, maybe take it the other way and go to Chicago with it from, oh, from yeah. somewhere down South and catch that. But yeah, it was, it was an, it was a vacation that, that drew a lot of complaints and, um, crying <laughs> and, and just grumbling at the time. But it's, it's now the thing that, that they say kind of defines their memory of the delivery. And that that's the thing to me when I read that story, the the whole thing through all of these twists and turns and this could have happened a million other ways. And yet then it comes back to you and you do the same trip with your kids. That's the part that kills me every time. I, I remember growing up at rod runs and, and growing up around street rods. That was just, that was what we did. And, you know, I think that's the bigger part of, and I think we touched on that when, when you and Zach and I talked about cars in general, is that it's the memories and the people along the way that you, that you accumulate through being commonly interested in those things that, um, you know, and that's, that's really what made this whole thing happen were the people and understanding the, the connection that people have with these cars and the connection that the cars have with people. What happens now? (laughs) Well, it's got, if, if we were still working, it would already have 200,000 street rod miles on it as, as it is, it's sitting at 198,000 and some change in my storage unit, because, uh, it turns out when you take a 67 Chevelle completely apart, it takes up more than one garage bay and it's, it takes up more than one garage bay when it's together. Yeah. It's that thing's all over the place. It's getting better. It's coming together. And hopefully, uh, I did have both cars home for a little while and, but I got tired of when I'd come out of the house and go through the garage door that attaches the house, I'd have to open both of the overhead doors, shimmy down the side of one vehicle, go around the back out in the driveway, <laughs> shimmy down the other side to go get a screwdriver out of the toolbox. So I finally, I'm like, that's enough. That's is, this is it. I'm putting it back in storage. So that I was driving it every day. I had uh, Jenny and I have two little boys, little, little boys now. Um, and I had their car seats and stuff in it and we were just using it as, Daily transportation. You got to go to the daycare. You got to go here. Go get milk. Hop in the delivery and go get it. But uh, I, it's like I said, it's starting to get a little rough around the edges. It's really tired. It's got a you know the three fifty that's in it has put up a good fight. Um, it's got double hump heads, which are great. I mean, it's it, it's a great timepiece history. You know, time capsule. Right. I can't get gas that runs very well in it oh, anymore. It pings. Yeah. It's got like a, there's a, a th- about a three degree window there where you can actually make it run on, on premium and not ping. Um, 
I'd, I'd like to put something fresh together for it. And the biggest thing, and I, I didn't understand when I was a kid, um, I understand it very well now, but I, after project 40 hit really big and, you know, fat Jack's orange 46 coupe with a big blower motor and stuff in it, yeah. I'm like, dad, you should put a blower on the sedan delivery. I'm not putting a blower on that damn thing. I'm trying to get rid of it. Why would I put more money? I, I'll, maybe I'll put a blower on the 34. Didn't I totally didn't understand it. So sitting on the shelf here um, for whatever fresh bullet goes into this, I'd like to put together a, a fairly big cube small block so that I can run the blower at one to one as well. Right. I've got a 671 supercharger for small block Chevy sitting here for it. And at that point, when the when the front sheet metal comes off of it, I'm going to fix, uh, you know, some of the rust and paint and, you know, just tidy it up. But uh, nowhere near the degree the Chevelle is finished to. That car yeah. is almost, I'm afraid, I don't like having it home now that it's been painted. Oh, yeah. It's just, uh, so I don't want that kind of fit, that kind of finish. I do want nice paint on it, but it'll still have fender welt. It'll still have, you know, I want it to be dri- truly driver quality again to where it still shows well with a fresh engine. I am just about finished beating the dead horse with that Corvair front suspension. It was, (laughs) you know, it was a a point of pride for me at first that, nope, you know what? I'm going to stick with this thing. It's, it's what it had. It's what was there. Um, Dad was stubborn, but even he would have given up on this thing by this point. Um, I can't <laughs> yeah. can't keep an alignment on it. The eccentrics, I've got the eccentrics tacked now because they they oh, won't stay. Yeah. Um, it's it is it is what it is. But fortunately, the thing is cradled in and actually bolted to the bottom of the original forty six frame. So to put a Mustang two in it is essentially you zip some bolts out and roll this old thing out from underneath of it. And you've got a fresh clean slate to start with to weld in a nice cross member and get rack and pinion steering. I finally did put disc brakes on it last year. I got tired of replacing wheel cylinders every spring. It just was just one of those things you'd get in it. And it seemed like every other spring when you'd get it out of storage to get ready to use it for the summer, the pedal would go to the floor and you just put wheel, put wheel <laughs> cylinders in it. They were used up. What's your, what's your attitude when it comes to, preserving as opposed to changing i would just wonder how you approach that because you can't change it too much because then it won't be the thing anymore i yeah i kind of feel that way too here's the thing we still use this on if not a weekly basis at least a monthly basis to do, to go do things in so it still needs to function first and foremost it needs to function as an automobile um if it were going to be uh, rolled into the uh, museum like speedways and we were just going to try to preserve and keep it from, you know, leaving too big a mark on the floor with oil and transmission fluid, then it could all stay just as it is. Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot of designs on ever changing the interior in it. Um, you know, I, there's some things that need to be touched up and pat, kind of patched back together. I noticed last winter that I had a mouse eat part of the headliner above the, the oh, driver's yeah. side sun visor, which is super thrilling to find. Um, but for the most part, I'd like to just put a fresh, a fresh engine, something that's got a little showier, uh, you know, snortier engine in it. Um, and just kind of safety and safety and drivability things. Uh, you know, technology's come a lot farther with the front suspension technology. I want rack and pinion steering in it. It's got right now that Corvair is set up with 
the it's ingenious. I mean, it was it, it was cool as all get out in 1982 when you had a, a an yeah. uncle that was a machinist and he took the lower control arms, cut them out, and welded a collar, a press fit collar for a Chevelle ball joint. So it uses Chevelle ball joints and spindles with narrowed Chevelle steering and like a 605 box on it. So it's got all the all the typical 60s stuff in it. Basically, this thing's like a 67 Chevelle under. 46 Ford clothing, but with a little dinkier independent front suspension, right. um, you know, 66 GM, 67 GM with the Nova rear end. Um, Nova rear end might not take too kindly to a 500 horsepower plus <laughs> um, blower motor. We'll have to we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. I, I do with, with everything that we've done, especially recently at Speedway, to kind of bolster our nine-inch Ford offering and some of the the other things that we do, I would keep the parallel leaf springs that are under the thing. Maybe hang a fresh, you know, a fresh rear end under it. Something that I can, um, you know, reliably. I just I don't want to break parts in it, but I also don't want to take away that the spirit of what that vehicle is. But I think per- progressing it a little further on down the road too couldn't hurt. I gotta believe that if the if the choice was between it sitting in the garage and getting looked at and hey don't touch it kids or driving it and using it as a car i gotta believe that you're making the right choice i can see both sides of that i can see the preservation angle but i also you know that that's the one car that i'm probably going to keep forever so i want to do i want to do the things that i really want to do with it and use um you know the quality of materials and the quality of parts that you can plan on keeping forever. It's yeah. not a it's not a flipper car that's got a budget or anything like that. It's one of those things that um, you know, it's it's gonna be here and I want it to be enduring and and not pass a whole big pile of problems on to whoever inherits it when I die. So And you have four kids. Four, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I tease them all the time that I was just, you know, hey, it's already pillowed on the inside. It kind of looks like a coffin in there with that interior. And I <laughs> just dig a big hole and none of you get it. So, you know, yeah, you're going to fight about it. So, yeah, I have no idea. But you know what? It won't matter to me at that point. And uh, right. <laughs> whoever whoever can be the best caretaker, I guess. I don't I don't really know. Is there anything else that you want to say about it? Yeah, it's just it's fun to drive. I still love, you know. The, the, just the memories, you know, um, my, uh, my mom and stepdad are both now gone too. And, uh, the memories that I have of the last ride I took with my mom in that car. It's one of the reasons I still like to go and drive it. I just, I like to, to be able to, to kind of hop in that and go for a ride with those folks. Just kind of how it feels. Thanks to Jeff Carls for being our guest today, and thanks to all of you for listening to What Moves You, a Speedway Motors podcast. Visit the toolbox at speedwaymotors.com for the photos we referenced in today's episode. Email the podcast at podcast at speedwaymotors.com. And if you like what you heard, tell a friend where to find us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Two weeks.